Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm finally joined on the line by both of my fellow co-hosts. In studio, Joe Wolfon. What up? And in his humble abode, somewhere in Scarborough, <laughs> uh, Joe Scasharo. What's going on? Repping Scarborough as always, eh? Always, man. Um, okay, so we have a jam-packed podcast for you today. Uh, on the second half, Cash talked to Steven Jackson, um, who shared his thoughts about everything from, uh, you know, what's going to happen this upcoming NBA season, Tristan Thompson uh, being, you know, a little bit of a Kardashian with some of his recent comments, um, you know, which players, uh, you know, don't necessarily play up to their potential, a.k.a. the Andrew Wiggins no heart team, and also the Jimmy Butler all heart team, uh, guys who, uh, you know, have maximized their uh, earnings and their potential by basically outplaying the competition. Um, so that's a great interview. You should listen to that in the second half. But in the first half, we have to. I will say, just to chime in real quick, that yeah. I think people are going to be stunned by the only guy he went with for the no heart team. I was going to say, I was definitely a little bit shocked. But then when he when he brought it up and he kind of explained the whole thing, I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, but it's not a guy who is looked upon as an underachiever. That's the weird thing. No. But. Uh, Let's uh let's start the pod by updating this Jimmy Butler situation, which has dragged on. It feels like forever, even though it's only really been like two weeks. Um, but the latest updates are this: okay, something between fifteen and twenty teams have made an offer to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, according to various reports, Miami is the most active. Um, there's no traction with the Clippers and Nets just yet. Um, the Rockets were trying to be creative, but they don't have the amount of money to take back. Gorgie Jang's contract, which seems to be one of Minnesota's asking points. Phoenix could take back some money, uh, i.e., you know, Gorgie Jang, and, but they want Tyus Jones and then, you know, point guard. But Sacramento could take back some money. I'm not really sure what they want. I think they want a first-round pick. Um, but while all this is happening, Tibbs also tried to pitch Jimmy on Monday, trying to convince him to stay, which Jimmy clearly was like, what are you doing? How do you not know by this point that I want to leave? How much more obvious do I got to make it? So... Um, we'll start with Wolf on the go to cash. I mean, this situation is just really messy, and um, I could definitely see some people losing their jobs after this, aka Tibbs. But um, yeah, I mean, Wolf on, like, what do you think is the holdup there? And do you think there's too much disconnect between ownership and Butler and Tibbs in terms of their priorities to actually make a deal? From everything we've heard, it definitely seems like there's too much of a disconnect there because Glenn Taylor is sort of putting the pressure on the front office to get something done, uh, you know, as soon as possible. And Jimmy Butler is putting that same pressure on Glenn Taylor because he's not really making any progress putting that pressure on Tibbs. And it's just hard to know what the end game is here for Tibbs. Like, I I could see this being sort of um, a negotiating tactic because the Wolves don't really have any leverage here. And there was a report that came out that they were really unhappy that Butler's camp leaked the trade request because obviously that kind of puts them over a barrel, right? And I I think it feels like the situation has dragged on so long because while Butler only formally made this trade request a couple of weeks ago, I feel like the writing's been on the wall for a lot longer than that. And uh, I think we all kind of could have seen this coming a couple of months ago when, you know, the reports were, were coming out that Butler was really unhappy with his teammates and, it, you know, seemed uncertain about his future in Minnesota. And, you know, the Wolves weren't particularly proactive about it. And now, you know, they're in a situation where their hand is being forced. So I feel like maybe this is sort of their attempt to try and regain some control over the situation. 
with Tibbs basically coming out and stonewalling teams or making you know ridiculous asks of of packages that he wants in return. Ben and Simmons, <laughs> Ben Simmons, for reportedly, one year which is Jimmy which Butler. is obviously a joke, right? Like <laughs> it has I, to be, right? Um, and and I don't know how much credence there is to that report, but um, even if that that request was not made in earnest, one way or another, so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's it's really hard to say, like whether Tibbs knows that the situation is is too far gone, and that he's going to have to, you know, make his peace with the fact that Butler is out the door, or, or whether he's just trying to drive up the price and start a bidding war. Right. Um, but one way or another, it's pretty clear that the situation is is irreparably broken. That Butler is you know not responsive to Thibodeau's thirsty request for him to just like come back and give this another go. And, um, you know, eventually, like, training camp is already underway. Butler's made it clear that he's not going to report. And, um, and you know, they, they got to get the wheels turning at some point in time and, and lower their asking price to something a little bit more reasonable. Cash, do you think Tibbs is kind of holding things up because he wants to get fired and take all his money from the situation before dip? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I just think – I think Tibbs is stubborn enough – to be at least a little bit delusional, um, and I think that probably comes with the dual role of coach and GM or coach and president. But yeah, I think I just think it's more so that Tibbs probably believes in his heart of hearts or whatever's there where the heart goes in a coach as uh, maniacal as Tibbs. I think he believes that he can wait out this like wait out the market and maybe get you know a better offer than he's seeing now. It doesn't make sense from our end because you'd figure the deeper we get. You know, and once the season starts and the closer we get to the deadline, if, say, the season were to start, that those offers will get worse and worse because, you know, a prospective team trading for Jimmy will get less and less time with him. But I don't know. I mean, that's what it seems like to me, that Tibbs actually believes the offers will get better or some team out there, whether it's a Miami or whoever, like, gets desperate and thinks, all right, we just need to, to bring Jimmy in and here's what we'll give you. We'll give you what you want. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think Tibbs might believe it, it will. Um, and then even from the other side, if, if you want to talk about maybe being a little bit delusional, is Thibodeau said at uh, Media Day that he fully believes if they can't get a deal done by next week, which is now only a few days away, that Butler will be with the Wolves. Not necessarily for the season, but that he'll rejoin them for camp, for the preseason, whatever. And, you know, I don't know if Jimmy's come out and, and fully said that's not the case, but I still like I find not that hard to believe that given the disconnect between Butler and the team right now, given how bad he wants that, given how much their owner is willing to make it happen, I can't see Jimmy Butler just randomly rejoining the Timberwolves in the middle of camp because Thibodeau thinks he will. Like, I, There's just a lot of things in this whole situation that seems like Tom Thibodeau trying to exert some control over a situation that he's clearly lost all control on. Um, I think we can all agree, though, that... Yeah, Jimmy Butler is going to eventually go. What's that one destination that uh, Butler could end up that could maybe have the most effect on the NBA as a whole in terms of the results this season? Because I think there's, it's very clear that the Golden State is like you know far and away above everyone else. But if you add Butler to the right team, potentially it changes things. You know, I'm thinking about maybe the Rockets, maybe the Celtics, maybe even the Raptors. Um, you know, so. Wolfon, who's that one team that you'd like to see Butler on, just purely as an NBA fan? I actually, it's weird because we always sort of include the Celtics in you know any 
uh, rumors about a potential blockbuster trade just because they always seem to have the assets to get a deal done. But I, I don't think they do in this case just because they don't really have the contracts to make it work. Right, that's true. Um, you know, unless they were willing to send Gordon Hayward the other way, which I, obviously I don't think they're going to do. And, um, you know, Marcus Smart can't be traded uh, until, what, like de- December or January uh, because he just resigned. Yeah, so, January, yeah. like, that's that's a kind of, like, uh, mid-sized tradable contract that would probably be going the other way in such a deal. So, like, they don't really have uh, the contract filler to make a, a deal work. So I would kind of exclude them um, from realistic trade suitors. But uh, the Rockets are obviously, like, a very fascinating one. And the package that makes the most sense there is some combination of Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, and prospects or draft picks. Um, But uh, I don't know, like based on what the Wolves seem to be asking for, I don't know that that's a package they would be interested in. Yeah, they don't have a Ben Simmons, right? So, (laughs) yeah. Um, And, and, you know, like if they're... Someone's going to back up D. Rose. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yo, Derek Rose is really going to play 40 minutes a game again. This is great. Jeez, man. (laughs) Um, um, but like, and, and if they're sending out draft picks, those draft picks figure to be like really low first round picks anyway. So mm-hmm. I can see why the Wolves wouldn't necessarily be interested in a package from Houston. Um, but obviously, if they manage to bring Butler into the fold uh, without you know surrendering uh, you know one of their top three guys, um, you're looking at a four man core of Chris Paul, James Harden, uh, Jimmy Butler, and Clint Capella. And you know, given how close they came last year um to toppling the warriors i think that would probably be the most potentially landscape altering deal out there um and then if you look in the eastern conference i mean the raptors if they can somehow get into that mix like again i don't know what it would take uh but they do have the contracts to send back that they could match mm-hmm. um, several contracts that they could move that absolutely could, you know uh, between valentunas ibaka i mean potentially kyle lowry if if they wanted to go that route but i think if they were going to you know roll the dice and swing for a jimmy butler trade they would want to keep lowry in the fold um and you know would probably prefer to make this sort of like an all-in win now gambit where they sent out one of you know the bakker valanchunas and attached one of the young guys and maybe a draft pick um because i don't know to me it wouldn't make sense for lowry to be the guy going out in that kind of a deal but if they if they could bring butler in I think you're talking about probably like the best uh, defensive wing core in the league. Oh my god! Yeah, of course. And Danny Green, OG, Kawhi Leonard, and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, like, like that's just absurd. good luck scoring on that man. Just um, good luck. And I think that you know, again, depending on what they were giving up, that would give them as good a shot as any team. I think of of going toe to toe with the Warriors. Right. Um, and then there's the Sixers, obviously, who. Uh, if if they were able to swing a deal, I think would you know vault to the the top of the Eastern Conference pecking order. They'd be up there with the Celtics and the Raptors as well. So um, between the Rockets, Raptors, and the Sixers, I think those are the teams where uh, a deal would actually um, meaningfully change the landscape of the NBA. Right. I think the Sixers are really interesting because they do have a couple of surplus draft picks and they have expiring contracts that Minnesota seems to want. Now I don't know if they want to take back Gorgie Jang because he doesn't fit their you know future plans at all and i don't know if butler necessarily wants to re-sign there and i don't know if butler can coexist with younger players but just on paper they have expiring guys like you know wilson chandler is an expiring contract um they could stuff amir johnson into a deal if they really wanted to they could put even a jj reddick into that that mix 
Um, they also have a little bit of cap flexibility as well, so they don't necessarily need to ship out that many contracts to get it done. And then they have those future assets. So uh, that could be very interesting for sure. And, you know, the, the Sixers are kind of on on record with a new general manager, Elton Brand, uh, appearing in the low post saying that, yeah, you know, they have this money right now, basically. It's going to eventually expire when, you know, Ben Simmons earns a, uh, you know, a max contract. And, uh, you know, they, they want to find another guy right now to kind of uh, – round out what they already have so that that's a that's a nice option cash let me ask you this though do you think butler's actually gonna get this five-year 190 million dollar maximum contract that uh, he's you know reportedly interested in because if i were a gm next season and i'm looking at a 30 year old jimmy butler and i'm gonna have to pay him uh 190 million and the fifth year of that will be when he's you know 35 years old and uh you know, making forty plus million, I probably would hesitate, and I think I'll, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that as good of a player as Jimmy Butler is, that he can get this uh, money uh, down the line. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and you know, we've we've learned so many times not to take anything for granted in this league, and all it takes is, you know, kind of an injury riddled Butler season or something like that, and and like you mentioned, it, he's already going into this season, you know, missing an average of about fifteen games a year if he has an injury pro, uh, riddled year. And other GMs are thinking the exact way we are. Do we really want to pay a guy $40 million when he's 35 when we're not even sure he'll be healthy when he's 32 or 33? This guy's got – I know he was a late bloomer, but since blooming late, the guy's got a ton of mileage on him, thanks to Tom Thibodeau for the most part. Um, so I'm not 100% sure he's going to get that deal. And also I think another factor is where does he land because where he lands, you know, he can only get that deal if he re-signs with the team right. that he's on at the time. And so whether he even wants to do that depends on where he lands, right? If he lands on a team that he just wants to put in his ear and leave, well, he can't sign that 5-190 anyway. So I think it, it, you know, it's dependent on both things, how healthy Butler looks, I guess, this year, um, and also where he lands and whether he wants to commit five years to that team. Because I do think that outside of that, if we were just talking about the four-year max that another team could give him, I think even if there were questions about Jimmy Butler going into free agency, um, some team that just wants, needs a star, has sold to their fan base, they're getting a star, like, you know, any of the above, someone will max him out at four years. I don't think that's a question. Right. But the five is definitely the big question because I do think there are some concerns and some doubts there. Yeah, so, I mean, this reminds me a little bit of that Al Horford situation where um, Al Horford was coming off a nice year with the Atlanta Hawks. And the Hawks just were really, really hesitant to give him that fifth season. And eventually he said, you know what, forget this, I'm going to go to the Celtics, right? And I'll take a four-year deal with the Celtics for slightly less money, but it's a better situation for me. And it's like, it almost, in these situations where you have an older free agent, it, it almost benefits the team that doesn't have the ability to have the fifth year because... When you don't put that fifth year on the table, it comes across like you don't have interest, whereas other teams can just be like, well, we're going to give you maximum interest of four years, yeah. right? And so it kind of helps um, opposing teams that uh, don't have the bird rights in this situation. But honestly, man, I, I'm just a little bit tired of the Butler thing. Like, it feels like he's been traded like four or five times. Like, Miami was apparently very close on Monday. Apparently that's kind of fizzled out. Houston, whatever. Like, we'll, we'll just see. When he gets traded, he'll get traded, and we'll talk about it again on the podcast, I'm sure. Um one thing I want to bring back that was very popular last season was the make or miss segment. It's been too long because the summertime has not provided us with enough small tidbits to actually do this segment. 
But with Media Day uh, happening across the league uh, over the course of this past week, we finally have a ton of topics to go through. So for anyone who uh, wasn't one of the early listeners, make or miss, it's pretty straightforward. I'm going to give a statement, and you know, Cash and Wolfon are going to either respond with make, as in they agree, or miss, as in they disagree. So let's start here in Toronto. Kawhi Leonard is committed to this season with the Raptors and has an open mind. Make or miss? I think it's a make. Um, he really has no reason not to be committed for this season, at least. Um, you know, he has every incentive to go out there and, and give it 100% and have the best season he possibly can, whether he wants to stay in Toronto long term or not. Um, you know, like he's on a really good team in a good situation uh, where I think they have a legitimate shot to come out of the East. So uh, for this season, at least, yeah, I think he's 100% committed. And, um, you know, how far the Raptors go will probably have a lot to say about whether he wants to stay there long term or not. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a make, and I'm going to say that I don't even think. You know, just like Paul George last year and countless other free agents before him, I don't think Kawhi Leonard knows what he's going to do yet. I don't think he's close to knowing what he's going to do yet. So just based off that alone, I think he's definitely in Toronto or with an open mind right now. Yeah, and look, all the reports early on so far have been very positive. I mean, he you know, he stood before the media on Monday and Media Day, fielded questions um, pretty normally. Yeah, the laugh was, you know, obviously very strange. It was really funny because, like, when he – when like Kawhi first came out, it was like a huge gasp from the crowd. It was like, "Oh my God, he's actually here!" Right? Uh, and then the first question, we're like, "Wow, he's gonna be really nervous. Like, we don't really know what he's gonna be like. Is he gonna be hostile? Is he gonna be withdrawn?" And then he gets this first question from Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, and and he's just like, "You know, tell me something about yourself." And he's like, "Wow, well, you know, I'm a fun it wasn't guy. it wasn't tell me something about yourself. It was describe who you are." Yeah, that's true. Is- Which is it's a that's a tough question to answer as in like the first day. <laughs> yeah. That's like to, an interview yeah. question, right? To um, his credit, to yeah. his credit, Kawhi was more inviting to the media than I've ever heard him because he said, "Ask me more about my," or he said something along the lines of like, "Ask me more about myself, and I'll tell you." I can't just give you the whole spiel. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't. I don't even see where you're sitting. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I, you know, it was. It was. I, I did not expect the first words to come out of his mouth as a Toronto Raptor to be "I'm a fun guy." Like that was just so <laughs> strange. But honestly, though, he really settled into the rest of the press conference. He looked very normal, natural. It was actually a pretty. Uh, like a lot of the questions were kind of. Um, I would say like baiting him to sort of say something about his future and there's a Spurs reporter there and they want to sort of like you know talk about his future and stuff like that and what, and what happened in the past and why he left San Antonio and he just said you know that's that's uh it's in the past now and stuff like that you know I'm focused on this team right now and I thought he was very engaging and you know uh, the Raptors are holding training camp in Vancouver he seems to be pretty engaged with his teammates there saying the right things he called Nick Nurse a brilliant mind so far so I mean, I'm gonna call that a make um, at least for this season, right? It seems like Kawhi is really eager to and really happy to be back on the court, and he seems 100% too. Um, next one, make or miss. Kawhi will never laugh again after being roasted on Twitter. Um, I mean, he'll probably laugh again, but uh, he might not do it so publicly uh, or so ostentatiously because, uh, I mean, also, Kawhi's probably a guy who doesn't, like, pay much attention to social media and, like... No, he, no, he, oh, he has a, he has four total tweets. Yeah, like, he and, could very well just not be aware that people are actually roasting him on Twitter, right? That's true. Yeah, I think it'd be funny if someone told him, like, you know, you got roasted when you laughed immediately, and he'd be like, I laughed? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I... If, the, if it's a make, it's because Kawhi Leonard might have just never laughed again anyway, regardless of whether he got roasted on social media or not. 
Yo, we we gotta we gotta go down to the Scotia Bank Arena this this season and just tell Kawhi knock knock jokes or something. We gotta recreate this viral moment, man. Yeah, but he was laughing at his own joke. That was a funny thing, right? It wasn't like something that somebody else said. He was laughing because he said that he he didn't know where Doug Smith was sitting at. All right, so H- one of us gotta, one of us has got to hide at the practice scrums and just ask him a question about who he is as a person. Um, next one, staying in Toronto. Seems to be a lot of randomness going on in Toronto. Make or miss, the media is overreacting to Kyle Lowry's hostility slash frigid tone towards the media. Uh, I would call that a miss. Um, I've seen, like, just, like, a couple places suggesting that Lowry's sort of, like, disgruntled and and that, for that reason, the Raptors should consider trading him for Jimmy Butler. Mm. And I, I think... Those are people who, you know, haven't necessarily followed Kyle Lowry particularly closely over the last few years. Um, But, like, this is who he is. He has always been sort of aloof. um, And, you know, if he is in a particular mood, he can be very engaging um, and very receptive to uh, media. But for the most part, uh, he marches to the beat of his own drummer. And, like, if he doesn't want to talk, he's not going to talk. That's just always been him. And I don't think this is, you know particularly far outside his typical mo so um yeah no i don't think it's a thing yeah i'm gonna call this a pretty giant miss i think kyle lowry's never loved speaking to the media he'll joke around at them once in a while but for the most part he's just like not a media guy and i don't think it was surprising that he didn't want to talk to masai ujiri or even nick nurse for a while during the summer after what happened with the DeRozan trade. um he showed up at camp, you know, at media day. He's at camp now. I think everyone knows the type of player Kyle Lowry is. And once he's on the court, I don't think there'll be any concerns about his will to win or anything like that. I think, yeah, I think it's definitely been blown out of proportion. Especially when, if you read, um, you know, everyone is making a big deal because he refused to speak to the media two days in a row or something at Which at no, camp, no player's ever not who, spoken to the media two days in a row. You, right. You, you and, know there's and a problem also it goes two days. Everyone who made note of it also mentioned that he apparently also promised them he would speak Friday. Right. So now if, if say, like Friday comes and he's like, ah, gotcha, I'm not actually talking today. Either <laughs> I guess then you'd have more of a gripe. But as we know right now, he missed two days right. of media quote-unquote responsibilities at training camp right. and then promised he would speak the next day. I think that's far from a scandal. Um, yeah, if you go back through the archives, there's a lot of situations last season and the previous six that he's been in Toronto where he has gone two days without speaking to the media. Um, also, I would say that what Kyle Lowry said repeatedly at uh, Media Day was that, you know, a lot of people were asking him questions about, are you happy? Are you going to be okay emotionally to handle without DeMar? Which I thought was a bit pedantic. Like, this is a grown man. He can handle himself. Um <laughs> You know, they traded away Rudy Gay like four or five years ago. He was closer to Rudy Gay than he was with Demar. I mean, like Rudy, he's Rudy Gay's child's godfather, right? Like, um, and once they traded away Rudy Gay, Demar or well, Demar and Kyle, but Kyle specifically had the best year of his career, and then he eventually blossomed to this All Star. Um, yeah, I mean, the message that Kyle Lowry was saying over and over again in media days is that he's a pro and he's going to come up, he's going to show up, and he's going to do his work as always. And when you hear reports that like he's coming in 90 minutes early to training camp to get work done with Fred Van Vliet and stuff like that, that doesn't sound like someone that's checked out. He just doesn't sound like he doesn't want to talk to the media. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a bit of an overreaction. Next one, make or miss, quote-unquote, pure hate is why Kevin Durant doesn't get consideration for uh, all defensive awards. 
can you? I think you should be like give a little bit of background on this. Okay, so Ke- Kevin Durant likes to whine about stuff, and he was saying at media day, he's like, "Man, you know, like, you, you know, this is just pure hate that I don't get consideration for the all defensive teams because you know I've really improved as a defender, but you guys will never give me that stuff unless I'm far and away better than everyone else." The the Kevin Durant persecution complex comes through once again. It seems like this year he really wants to be acknowledged as a all defensive type player. Uh, which almost guarantees that he won't be there. But, I mean, like, hey, he does have a case, you know, over a steal a game, almost two blocks. I mean, you know, he's pretty good defensively, I think, maybe. But he did get all defense consideration last year. Like, I think for the first half of the season, like, right. everyone was kind of putting him up there in the defensive player of the year conversation. And then... Well, the no, war- no, 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 no. The Warriors were putting them up in the defensive no, player no, of the year like conversation. People, I don't people- think people outside were saying that, because everyone knows Draymond... Is the best defender on that team. But honestly, Draymond like gave like maybe sixty percent effort, I feel like, for most of the regular season last year. Okay. And honestly, for the first like twenty, thirty games of the season, I do think that Durant was like closer to being their defensive anchor than Draymond was. Okay. Um obviously you saw in the playoffs like who their defensive anchor actually is, but yeah. also like the Warriors effort as a whole just kind of fell off a cliff at some point during the regular season last year. Um, and I don't think Durant's defense ever, you know, toward the back half of the year ever really matched up to what it was at the beginning of the year when I feel like he was coming out and trying to make some sort of a statement about, like, the fact that he could be an elite defensive player, which he definitely can. He's, you know, really fast. He's extremely long. Like, he obviously has the tools to be an impact defender. He's actually but, a player where you you can say he can defend all five positions. Yeah, a lot of, sure. That gets applied to a lot of people. Doesn't really accurately portray that. But, yeah, KD is actually a guy that can guard all five. Yeah. And there are a lot of extremely talented defenders in the NBA who don't mm-hmm. make all defense because it's 10 players who end up making the team at the end of the year. And I don't know. What are you going to do? Like, how, how much recognition does he really want? Like, I, I always think back to that commercial <laughs> that ran on Nike. Like, they, they ran it basically immediately after the Warriors won that first championship. Right. And it was all about Durant basically, like, overcoming or, like, silencing the haters by winning a title. Mm. And and the the implication was that he's just been like doubted at every like stage of his career, and like somehow going when? to the Warriors and winning a championship had had like vindicated him. And it's like, I yeah, when when did that doubt come into play? Like they said he was like skinny coming out of college, I guess, because he could only he bench, was he could only he bench press like 110 pounds, like coming into the compound, like the combine, like I. I I don't know, man. He, yeah. he got picked second overall, and he won Rookie of the Year yeah. in his first season. And like from that point forward, he's been considered, I think, one of the like elite players, one of the best players of all yeah. time, frankly. So um, the persecution complex continues to be a little bit strange. And um, so, yeah, I would expect Durant to come out and like for the first ten or fifteen games of the season to like really put in a concerted effort at the defensive end mm-hmm. and talk all about how he's not going to get consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. He should try hard in March and April because that's usually when people get swayed the most. Cash, what do you think? Yeah, I think the reason he, you know, listen, his defense got a lot of love last year, and if he wasn't in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year, it's because he wasn't as impactful defensively these guys like rudy gobert anthony davis even a draymond green where he's fully engaged um but also like if you look at what katie said he was talking about accolades in general mm-hmm. and about how like hate gets in the way of accolades like is he not living on the same planet as us because sometimes i don't think so this guy okay even if you want to say because i was about to say he, he's an mvp even if you want to say or from his perspective, well, they wouldn't have given me MVP like in the Warriors tenure. Dude, you won two straight finals MVPs. Yeah. Um, you're widely 
regarded as at worst the third best player on the planet. And that's at worst. Usually he's yeah. second best. And yeah. there's a slight debate for first, although I don't really think that's genuine. Like what other than someone saying that you're better than LeBron James, what more can people say about you, even as a warrior, right. that you think qualifies as like appropriate adulation? What uh, yeah, it's just the same old with Kevin Durant where like great player Mm-hmm. Fun to watch, all the but like for some reason has created this false narrative in his narrative in his mind that the world is against them, and the media especially is against them, and nobody knows where the hell it's coming from, and it's honestly it's it's like confusing and slightly concerning that he's so kind of just out of touch with the way people really view him. Yeah. If anything, actually, I think what Kevin Durant is saying actually applies more to Steph than it applies to KD. Because I don't think Steph gets the kind of recognition. I don't think, for example, in this this past year's finals, I thought Steph should have won finals MVP. But, um, you know, KD was the one that ultimately got it. Like, KD got it the year before that as well. It kind of overshadowed the fact that Steph had, like, 29, 9, and 8 or something like that. It was He was really good in that series. I thought KD was better in 2017. He averaged 35. But still, like, Steph is the guy who, like, yeah, people actually really doubted Steph. And then once KD came, no one ever thought about Steph ever. The man made third team All-NBA. DeMar DeRozan made second team All-NBA. Steph Curry made third. I know yeah. injuries played into that, but still, third for Steph Curry. That's yeah. that's that's wild. Anyway, um, let's speed up a little bit through the make-or-miss round. Uh, next one, make-or-miss. Rondo being named starter ahead of Lonzo Ball is a sign of more things to come. I think that's probably a miss. I okay. feel like um, it's injury related. Yeah, I do think it's injury related, and okay. I think um, Luke Walton doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's like you know hesitant to play young players, right? Okay. Um, and you know is is just like inevitably going to trust a veteran more than he trusts like a sophomore. Um, you know, he's not Tom Thibodeau. I think uh, I think ultimately that Lonzo will end up having that starting job. Not Tom Thibodeau used to be an insult. Now, not so much. <laughs> uh, cash. <laughs> Yeah, I'm mean, going to agree with Wolf on. I think this is a miss. I think it's more health-related than anything else, and, and I don't think Walton or the Lakers, even with LeBron in town, are going to push aside their future for Rajon Rondo. All right, next one. Make or miss. Kyrie Irving effectively squashed free agency rumors by reassuring Celtics fans that this is the most talented team that he's ever been on and saying, why would I, be any- why would I go anywhere else? Uh, I think it's a miss just because Kyrie continues to be so inscrutable that I don't right. think anything he really says is going to uh, convince anybody of anything. Um, he seems kind of prone to, um, you know, just being a little bit whimsical and flying by the seat of his pants a little bit. And mm. I, I don't necessarily think that he knows what he's going to do next summer. And obviously a lot can change between now and then. And, uh, yeah, just given his track record... Um, of being a little bit flighty, uh, I feel like um, things could change a lot for him uh, between now and next July. Yeah, he thinks the earth is flat. This is a miss. Don't <laughs> believe what he says. All right, fair enough. It seems to be a negotiation tactic more than anything else because in the summertime, he was like, I don't know, maybe I'll do some. And now he's like, yeah, no, 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 I'm staying here. It's like, okay, all right. Maybe maybe the Celtics told him, like, hey, listen, we got that max contract for you waiting this summer. Um, next one. Make or miss, Carmelo Anthony will finally accept coming off the bench this season. He kind of said that he will do whatever is, is best for the team, which uh, for Carmelo is actually a nice step forward because that has not really pre- played out throughout the course of his career. But uh, but in Carmelo's mind, he definitely still thinks that what's best for the team is for him to start. Well, I mean, who else is going to start, right? Like, 
You have Chris Paul at one, James Harden at two. There's an open spot at three. PJ Tucker is going to stay in the starting lineup as a four, and Capella's at five. So who's going to play three? Is it going to be Melo or Eric Gordon? That's basically or, or the, James Ennis. I think it might be Eric Gordon. Yeah. Okay. I think they really like having Gordon coming off the bench, though. He was great last year as a bench guy. And they really need that like th- that uh, primary ball handler, I think, off the bench. I mean, they do mm-hmm. stagger uh, CP and Harden's minutes. So, right. But you want two at all times, really, just to divide the floor. Yeah, and I think Gordon was so good last year, just like running those bench units. Um, mm-hmm. And he's really, I think, most effective with the ball in his hands. He is a good spot-up shooter, but like... He's got that devastating first step, and I just think like having him controlling the ball and like his ability to get to the basket, I think that they would probably prefer to keep bringing him off the bench. Um, to me, it just like it doesn't really matter. Like I know right. there's a sort of it's like a status symbol, and like it's really important to the players, like whether they start or come off the bench, um, and it it sort of affects how they view themselves and their place in the league. But mm-hmm. to me, like the bigger question is like how often is Melo going to play and like what is his role going to be and are they actually going to get him to kind of buy into being more of like a a role-playing spot-up shooter than a guy who's kind of like yeah soaking up possessions and holding the ball you know for five or six seconds when he gets it and jab stepping and going to work in isolation like they really need him to be more of a guy who's like either you're catching and shooting or you're making the next pass but like the ball isn't sticking right like you're you're basically like you're a complimentary piece and you're not like a focal point of the offense and i think that to me is a more important question yeah he needs to become wizards pumpers exactly yeah i think that's a good comparison cash yeah i think it's a make too i've said for a long time now that i think the only way Carmelo anthony will accept the role that he's best suited for at this point of his career is if he plays with lebron james or chris paul because i think those are the only two guys that he truly would – maybe Dwayne Wade as well, the whole banana boat crew. But I think those are the only two guys that really could have got through to him. And I think maybe it's Chris Paul getting through to him. But, yeah, I do think Melo finally accepts where he is this year. All right. Uh, make or miss, Anthony Davis joining Clutch Sports is a sign that he will eventually leave New Orleans? I think it's a miss. Um, I do think there's, uh, you know, a, a at least 50% chance that he does eventually leave New Orleans. Right. But um, I don't necessarily think that signing with Clutch is like a, a, the thing that is going to impact that decision. Right. Clutch could definitely um, make it happen, though. You know what I mean? Like, Sure. I mean... Rich Paul's a, a huge power broker nowadays. He, he absolutely is. And I think, you know, when it comes time for Anthony Davis to make that decision, um, you know, he'll, he'll be well represented. But also, like, wherever he goes, Anthony Davis, his next contract is going to be the absolute super max right like mm-hmm. he's he's not going to leave any money on the table no, no matter what decision he makes at the end of the day and that wouldn't change i don't think no matter who was representing him so um i don't know how much this really changes anything uh but i guess we'll see yeah i'm gonna call it a miss just because you know if he leaves new orleans i think it'll be because of the way the pelicans at some points have mismanaged that roster and also i mean there's a ton of guys represented by clutch i don't think I don't think joining clutch is necessarily a sign that you're going to take your talents elsewhere. Pardon the pun. Uh, next one, make or miss. The NBA uh, selling the last 30 seconds or the fourth quarter for just $2 is an omission that the first three quarters in NBA basketball don't matter. Um, I mean, sure, it's a, it's a make. Like, if you were – you can't be a fan of all 30 NBA teams, right, and, That's like, true. watch every single one of their games. But um, – the ability to just buy a fourth quarter in a close game, I think, 
it's is smart. is smart and it's valuable for you know a fan who's obviously not going to be able to watch seven or eight games every night but could watch seven or eight fourth quarters in a night and be pretty satisfied with the viewing experience mm. cash yeah i'm going to say that's a miss because i'm going to say it's more about the nba just knowing that you know it's not that the first three quarters don't matter it's that to the casual fan who doesn't have all the time in the world you know the nba still wants to get the peak of their product out to those people and you know i think we can all agree that the climax for the most part is the last couple minutes of a close game so I think it's just a way for the NBA to deliver their, you know, the best part of their product to fans, but not necessarily that the rest doesn't matter. All right, last one. Make or miss. Tristan Thompson says absurd things for attention, such as the Cavaliers are still the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Four times, baby. Four-time Eastern Conference champions. Cleveland Cavaliers minus LeBron. Still team to beat. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, based on recent evidence, I would have to call it a make. Yeah. Um the man has a, a reality star persona to uphold. So, um, you know, LeBron is no longer in Cleveland and Tristan needed his, his look at me moment and he certainly got it. Yeah, this is as giant a miss as we've ever had on Maker Miss. Um, I think it's obviously ridiculous. Um, Tristan Thompson's factually correct, but is just so far out of his mind here. Um, I get more into this, and actually, Stephen Jackson Stack gets more into this um, in the second half of our podcast when I interview him about it. Yeah, it, just listen for Stack's thoughts on it because I pretty much agree. Yeah, Stack's about the roast Tristan Thompson in the second half of the podcast. And so, uh, with that, uh, we're going to go into a break, and when we come back, uh, we'll have Stephen Jackson on the line. Hey listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. Our uh, co-host for this segment is, uh, I guess you could say, a little more accomplished in basketball than, than the rest of us, or the most co-hosts we have on the show. 14-year NBA veteran, NBA champion, most recently with the killer threes of the big three. One of the more outspoken and honest NBA analysts on TV right now for ESPN, Steven Jackson. Welcome to the show, Steven. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, man. I mean, uh, just want to jump right into it with you. With the preseason about to start, some of your thoughts going into the season. I guess the easiest question to start with is, in your opinion, as a guy who's been in the league and and has seen some super teams assemble, maybe not quite like this one, does anyone in the league right now have a shot at dethroning the Warriors? Well, if you look at if you look at just what you can go by by now is just you know the rosters and um, and players and. Uh, there's no way that you can go against Golden State. I mean, especially after already being back-to-back champs and then adding Boogie Cousins, arguably him and Joel Joel OBMB, the best big man in the in the game. It's kind of hard to go against them, and I think every team in the NBA has say the same thing. You know, last year the Rockets, I guess, are the one team that that gave Golden State a run for their money in that uh, West Finals. It looked like they might have had them for a moment. Obviously, then they lose Trevor Ariza and uh, Luke Bamute. Whether it's Houston or anyone else, do you do you think anyone else can even forget about beating them, but even put that kind of scare in them? Well, uh, 
I really think Boston can. I mean, you got you got the same type of roster, just just a younger version, uh, less experienced version. They still have their best player, the champion, the Kyrie Irving, but you have a young team over there that can match up with Golden State. And now they're not all rookies. They got a year of experience. They made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So these kids are hungry. These kids are ready. And they made it that far without their best player, Kyrie, and Gordon Hayward. So I really feel like if anybody can play with them and if anybody that can take them to a seven-game series and has the opportunity to beat them, it has to be between Houston and um in Boston, but I really don't know how Houston's going to look this year because they're not going to be as good defensively as they were last year. I'm actually glad you brought that up, the Houston angle, because one thing I really wanted to ask you was, you know, with the Rockets bringing Melo in, I think the way fans and even media looks at Melo, to me, it often seems like it's very different than the way players or former players look at him. Like, I know myself, when I watch Melo or look at the numbers, I always look at it as like, you know, everyone says he's one of the best pure scorers of all time, and I obviously respect the numbers he's put up, but he's never done it as efficiently as some of the other great scorers of his era. And I know, you know, a lot of media looks at it the same way and fans look at it the same way, maybe thinking he's kind of past his prime or or maybe was never quite the offensive threat that everyone else made him out to be. But when you talk to players, a lot of them just continue to kind of ride with Mello and and say people like me, I guess, or, or the media or fans in general don't know what they're talking about. As a guy who played in the league, why do you think there is that disconnect between what the players see in Melo and maybe what fans and media do? Well, you, you used to, you used to especially stars, stars in the league, and like you know, you usually stars being able to do multiple things. You know, um, Melo just does one thing well, and that's score. He don't make he don't really make anybody around him better. He's not a playmaker. He's one of the best scores I've ever seen. But you know. In this day and time, you gotta do more than that. You know, you gotta you gotta make guys better. And the stars these days do everything. Look, Russ at Russ is averaging triple double at the point guard position. LeBron can average a triple double if he wants to. KD's six eleven. He's just he's one of the best scorers I've ever seen as well. But he can defend. He still can make plays. He can be unselfish when need be. So, you know, I just think Melo is just stuck in that box of being being able being great at one thing. While all these other stars, James Harden can pass the ball like like no other, and he can score. Like they do more than just one thing, and I think that's why he's in a in a box by himself. Is because one of the things you said, he's not he hasn't been as as efficient as other stars, and he only does one thing well. But me, if I had my choice, I'll take him over a lot of guys in the league right now. Yeah, and I guess do you still think his uh, his offense? Obviously, it's not what it was maybe at his peak, but do you still think his offensive game? Is good enough to kind of to overcompensate for his defensive struggles? Yeah, well, you know, it's, yeah, he still can average fifteen twenty in the NBA. He's far, he, he's far from done. He can still get buckets. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's, it's just sucks when a team like Houston is a great defensive team, and you know James don't play. James is just not a great defender either. So right. you got you you talk about having both of these guys on the court at the end of the game against Golden State. And expecting one of them two to make a stop, uh, I can rely on Chris Paul to make a stop. I can rely on PJ Tucker, maybe even uh, uh, what's the big fella's name? Capella. Capella, maybe Capella. He can. He probably can make a play. But I don't know about you know relying on James and um, and the Carmelo for um, for defensive stops. But one thing about it, those two guys can score some points, and you're gonna need that against Golden State. For sure. I definitely think one thing that uh, 
I don't think enough people kind of put stock in this summer was the Rockets losing Ariza and Bamute. I know, you know, none of those guys is going to light up the scoreboard or make an all-star game anytime soon, but I do think the versatility those two guys, along with P.J. Tucker and Capella, brought them defensively really did help them hang with the Warriors. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they try to try to do that without them. Right. You mentioned the Celtics, too, as being the other team that might be able to hang with the Warriors. I'm assuming that means you're going with the Celtics to come out of the East? Uh, I'm not going to say that yet because we'll, we'll see how uh, how Kawhi does in Toronto. Uh, Kawhi's another player. And what if they make a trade for Jimmy Butler to go to Toronto? Like, that'll be crazy. Jimmy Butler in and, and uh, Kyle Lowry and, Kyle and Kawhi Leonard, and that'll be nice. But yeah, in the would, East, for sure. That would definitely – that would definitely That'd be a be crazy. squad. That would be crazy in the East, right? Yeah. Yeah, and even – I mean, even the way they're presently constructed, if you kind of look at – I know, obviously, they bowed out in pretty embarrassing fashion to LeBron's Cavs in the second round, but if you just look at the year the Raptors had last year and assuming some of those young guys in that bench mob keeps getting better and you're essentially then just replacing DeMar DeRozan with what they hope is a healthy Kawhi Leonard, you know, how high do you think that team's ceiling is even if they don't make a trade for a Jimmy Butler? Yeah, you gotta think LeBron is not in the East no more. So the the ghost that they was already always terrified of, he's he's not there. So you know they they got a good shot. Like I said, if they get Jimmy Butler go to Toronto, now we got action in the East. Now we got either Boston or Toronto being able to hang with Golden State. Because I tell you this, if you got a team where you got Jimmy Butler on one side and Kawhi on the other side, and those guys are guarding KD and Clay, I like that matchup. Nobody in the world can stop KD, but. If I had to put somebody on him to make it tough, make him have a tough night, Kawhi's the guy. I know um, earlier, I think it was earlier this year, about the middle point of last season, um, you had made some comments about the way Tony Parker and, and the Spurs had maybe said some things in the public about Kawhi's recovery, and, and you were kind of sticking up for Kawhi. Uh, you're a guy that's been in the Spurs culture. You know Pop and, and how all that happens. Did you maybe look at it? differently than everyone else did because a lot of people looked at it as Kawhi kind of gave up on the Spurs or you know didn't buy into what the Spurs culture was supposed to be about in the end how did you view it well I, I viewed it I viewed it as you know when they start going in the media talking behind his back <laughs> that let me know that they were panicking that let me know that Tony was done that let me know that you know they was really relying on Kawhi but that's something they never done. Tony has been hurt millions of times. Genova has been hurt millions of times. You never heard nobody go in the media and talk about them and hurrying up their recovery. You never that that, that just don't go on in San Antonio organization. They don't they don't put their business in the media. They damn sure don't talk about each other as teammates in the media. That never happens from that organization. So when I saw all that stuff happening, I wasn't surprised that Kawhi felt kind of like stabbed in the back because he's never done that's that's never done so that alone would would would, would, would push him away and, and force him to to have the stance he had i don't think it was ever a fact that he was faking the injury or i was faking like he was still hurt Kawhi loves the game too much i know him too well and play with him to know how much he loves basketball and how he want to go down as one of the greats so all oh, that was smoke but me knowing pop me knowing the organization nobody Nobody expected that with the backstabbing to go on. And Kawhi is the first guy, first star that Pop had since the Tim Duncan and, and, and David Robinson era. That's not a system guy. You know, and that system only works with big men like Tim Duncan and David Robinson. Once they, once he saw David, uh, Tim Duncan fading, 
He had he let Kawhi, as you see, it's never been happened before with me and no other player. He let Kawhi just play free, come down, take quick shots, ISO. That offense wasn't the normal San Antonio style of ball. Well, when he went, when Tim was at the end of his play, he let Kawhi do it, and Kawhi took over. And I guess other guys might have was, you know, had their own agendas about it, but that was helping them win. Well, you know, Kawhi is just different. You know what I mean? And he wasn't gonna let them treat him that way, knowing he was the star of that team. So. You know, Pop always handled things right. You know, I, I'm pretty sure anything negative that went on, you know, Pop handled it the right way because he always does. And, uh, you know, part, parting ways with Kawhi wasn't easy for Pop because, you know, Pop, he don't just coach you. Pop, you know, Pop is like a father that he really loves his players. It's bigger than basketball with Pop, especially if you're giving your all for him. So I know he didn't want, I know he didn't want to go uh, part ways with Kawhi, but Pop will do what's best for the team. And now that Kawhi is gone, you know, nothing stops, nothing changes. We're still a championship organization. We have the roses. Let's continue to approach things like we continue to do and uh, do the things the right way. And, uh, you know, it, it was just shocking to see Kawhi won the league because nobody expected that. Yeah, I think that's what the most jarring thing was, right? Like you mentioned it is the, the myth, the mythical presence of Pop and the Spurs as an organization for basically like 20 years now. Um, they kind of seem like the one franchise in the NBA that was immune to that. You know, that you would never see that kind of thing happen. And especially because Kawhi, everyone just assumed he was like the perfect superstar for the system, you know, in terms of being a quiet guy that didn't seem to want the bright light. So I think for a lot of people, even when the rumors first started coming out, I think most people just assumed, well, it's the Spurs, it's Pop, they'll find a way to make it work. And then everything just snowballed so quickly. Yeah, you got you got to think too. Tony's from France, you know, it's from Argentina. You know, Tim's from St. Croix, you know. This is, and this is the way I can help uh, make people explain it. This is the first urban, real urban superstar that Pop has had. So a lot of things that, that was real normal and playing with the organization, a guy young like Kawhi coming up with the way things are changing in the game right now, a lot of that stuff is going to be kind of weird to him, you know? And, uh, you know, those, these young guys got a whole new style, a whole new way of looking at, looking at things and doing things, especially the stars. So just that old boring way of moving along, you know, it might not appeal to some people. And um, and uh, I think Kawhi, you know, Kawhi, wants, like I said, he wants to be the best player he can be, but he wants to enjoy playing basketball. And uh, I think Toronto, or even if, if Toronto don't work, I think he'll eventually get to that point. You mentioned, yeah, like knowing Kawhi and kind of knowing the, the type of player and person he is. Do you think that, uh, you know, when, when the trade first happened, the immediate reports were that he didn't even want to be in Toronto and then, you know, it became, well, he'll put in his year and then be gone. But as time's gone on, you started to hear reports that now he's coming to Toronto with an open mind and, you know, he's going to give the Raptors a chance. From what you know about Kawhi in the situation, do you think the Raptors, if things go well, do have a legitimate chance to keep this guy long-term? Do you think Kawhi's open to the idea of not just bouncing for sure in a year? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, and that's one thing. That's why you don't listen to reports. That's why I'm glad I'm not in the business of, because I've been in this side now, I've seen so much fake news. I really don't listen to reports, and I'm glad I got a relationship with players because I've never heard that he, anything from him or anybody around him saying that he did not, or he was regretting going to Toronto or anything like that. I think any situation that was different for him, obviously he was going to explore them all, as a professional, he's always been a professional. He loved to play basketball. He just he just wanted to be in a situation where I can't be the star of your team and being backstabbed. I can't be the star of your team. You know what I'm saying? And people have got uh, uh, their own motives behind my back. Like, this organization never done that before. It's not going to start with me. So, and I understood that. So, with, with, with Kawhi, man, he, um, 
he's he's gonna go to Toronto and ball out, man. And if things work out there where they play well, you know, they they need another star for sure there. If that works out, I know he's gonna love Toronto because it's a great city, it's a great place. But if it doesn't, you know, you can't fault a man for if he comes back home exploring that option. Everybody, every basketball player wants to play in front of in their home state or in their home city. And any basketball player will explore that option first before anything. Yeah, and I think if there's one thing everyone should have learned over the last year, whether it was, you know, Paul George falling in love with OKC and their system or even the Kawhi situation itself in San Antonio, I think what everyone should have learned is that you don't actually know. Yeah, and, and you know, the the team started at first by not showing loyalty. So, you know, start I.E. start with LeBron James. I'm shouting him out to give him props, but he's the reason why these players will finally understand that there ain't no loyalty in this game. Do what's best for you. Go play where you want to play. Go chase the championship if you want to. Do what you want to do with your career, and don't let these teams and owners dictate it. And I think LeBron, you got to give him all the props for that because, you know, by him bouncing around, being the best player in the league and going where he want to go and playing where he wanted to play, then going back home and doing all that, now with the Lakers, you know, that, that says a lot of you having control of your own destiny and your own career, and a lot of players are starting to uh, follow suit. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too because I thought it was interesting um, earlier this year. I don't remember who it was. I think it was an older player that said something along the lines of Kevin Durant's championships and playoff success the last couple Walt of years. Walt Frazier, Walt Frazier, with his five heartbeats looking at <laughs> Yeah, he said that KD's uh, playoff success the last couple of years should have an asterisk beside it, and you came out and defended KD and you know even just what you were saying about LeBron. I, I do think it's interesting because there are, are a lot of ex-players um, that, you know, kind of dump on this generation of players and look at it as they're entitled or, you know, they do things a certain way that they don't agree with. But it seems like you have the opposite view where you actually appreciate and enjoy the fact that the players are kind of taking matters into their own hands. Yeah, they're supposed to. Like, who? Can't nobody tell me what I'm worth more than me. I know what I'm worth. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but I negotiated my last contract on my own. I ain't never went to college. Never had a set of steps to foot in college. Three years, 30 million. While I still had two years left on my deal. So y- you know what you're worth more than anybody. Numbers don't lie. And at the end of the day, you know, like I said, there's no loyalty in this game. You get these players, and they and they have to say at the time, so they were teams, and they get up there and say, yeah, I want to be with this team for the rest of my career. Then the team ends up trading them. Then they come out and say, yeah, I wasn't happy there anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I love the fact that they're being honest from the jump. And I understand these teams are not loyal to nobody. These teams, it's a business. They're doing what's best for them. And I, 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 learned, I learned that the hard way, you know, when I was uh, the way my career ended. But I understand it now. And I'm glad these players are taking control of their uh, careers. When you say you, you uh, negotiated your last contract by yourself, you mean like no agent, no management, whatever, just you and no, me and my friend Nita Berry. No help at all. No agent, no nothing. I went to di- I went to dinner with the owner, sat down with him, showed him the stats of the guys that that's making this a certain amount of money and what I'm making and my stats. My stats was beating everybody's stats by at least ten points, five to ten points. So there's no reason for them to get paid that much when I'm when we beat number one seeds in the first round, and I'm getting paid this. This don't add up. So it only makes sense. And what may, and, and what and what makes sense should never be questioned. Which uh, which team was that with? You said it was just you. Your... The Warriors. The Warriors. Oh, the Warriors. Shout out Bobby Rob. <laughs> you uh, 
you know, you mentioned some of the East favorites earlier, talking about Toronto and Boston. I don't know if you saw it today, but Tristan Thompson came out and and said that. Yeah, I've seen that, man. Yeah, I've seen that, man. All right, so I needed to get your thoughts on this. What are your thoughts? Because the way I look at it is like, listen, I get what Tristan Thompson's saying, yes. Technically, the Cleveland Cavaliers are still the Eastern Conference champions. But nobody in their right mind believes that the LeBronless Cavaliers are the team you have to go through anymore. So what were your thoughts on Tristan's comments? JR said it right. J.R. Smith said it right. Look, man, I know LeBron's on. I don't care who comes in or out. We're going to approach this season. We're going to try to – our goal is to win a championship. Break it to the playoffs and win a championship. Our goal don't change regardless who in that locker room. JR said it right. He's going too far. Bro, listen. Come to reality. LeBron is not in that locker room. Now, we know, Tristan, and you one of those ones that love attention, you want to be, you know, you own the Kardashians and all that. You love attention, so you just saying stuff. Listen, if anybody can say something like that, it's guys like JR, guys that really contribute. Okay, you was just out there running around, bro. So I, nobody really, no, JR has it right. We shouldn't even be talking about what Tristan said. He can't make a laugh half the time. So we don't need to pay attention to nothing he's talking about. JR Smith, I salute him. That's the attitude you have. Regardless who in this locker room or regardless who on my team, we go out there and play. We go out there and win, and we go out there and play like we're going to win the championship. All this, we eat the conference championship four years in a row. Tristan, you know y'all ain't winning it this year, so stop. Be real with yourself. And that's one thing people like me don't like, just the, the politically correct and the fake stuff. Tristan, be real with yourself, bro. You're not going to have 10 points this year. You couldn't get 10 points with LeBron on your team when they can't. So, just, just be real with yourself. Yeah, you confident. I'm, I'm confident in T. Lou. I'm, I'm more confident in T. Lou than anybody because I know a, a, how, how much of a dog of a player he was and how hard he played in his mindset. So I'm pretty sure he's going to have them mentally ready to play. But guys got to go out there and play, and it's going to be a big difference without having the king out there. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. Having LeBron on the court and not having him is night and day, and I know they know that. Well, I think that's the funny thing too, right? What kind of everyone was laughing about on NBA Twitter too is Tristan had that comment where he said, you know, the Celtics lost game seven at home last year. And then he said something like Toronto. We already know that story, but it's like, uh, we already know the story of what the Cavs look like without LeBron too. And that's not a good story. Right. And it like, he, he just setting himself up to have all kinds of memes at the end of the year. He just setting them up for them to just make all kinds of jokes about him on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Towards the end of the season. You know what I mean? That's, that's just what it is. The way J.R. said it is the, is the confidence you have. You don't have ignorant confidence like, like Tristan. Man, LeBron was a big part of all those games, bro. He is not there, okay? I don't know why you feel like you can come out and say that. You know, like I said, J.R., kudos to J.R. J.R. has it right. I don't care who on my team. I'm coming to play. We're coming to win championships. Yeah, you I mean, can't live in the past, Tristan. Just a few days ago, Ty Lue, uh was saying things like this year is not so much about wins and losses. It's more about wins and lessons. And then two, three days later, Tristan Thompson's out here saying that everything still goes through the Cavs. Yeah. And, and, and he put like, and then too, you put too much pressure on Sexton. Like you got a rookie point guard that's coming in. I love Sexton. This kid is a dog. He's going to be good in the league, but you don't want to put that type of pressure on him. Everybody in that locker room, if you come into the season confident and knowing LeBron out in there and knowing you got to step your game up, you never know what could happen. But you got to come to reality at some point, Tristan. I don't know what you're doing, bro. All 
All right, I got to ask you too. You mentioned, you know, when going off about Tristan there, you mentioned that guys like you don't like that kind of stuff, kind of the fake stuff. I know, I know now the beef is squashed, but obviously last week, you know, you did make some headlines for the beef you and, and Andrew Wiggins had back and forth, which started with the comment that his brother made when the rumors leaked that, uh, that Jimmy Butler wanted out. Um, like I said, I know the beef is squashed now. Actually, I, was, I, I saw you talking to CJ McCollum and saying that the beef was actually squashed by Jerry Stackhouse, funny enough, um, that he kind of reached out and helped squash it. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, look, I, I think a fair criticism of Wiggins, and, you know, you're not the first one to say it, is that he maybe hasn't, his game hasn't reached what people thought it would based on his physical gifts. Are there other young guys, whether it's young guys, older guys, whatever, that when you look at, maybe make you shake your head because you're looking at them saying, man, you should be so much better. And whether it's a heart thing, an effort thing, a focus thing, maybe just haven't reached that level. Are there guys in the league that, that you think of like that? I'm always known for saying things that people scared to say. And I'm also known for saying some things and a lot of people have said it in other ways, but I said the plain and simple way and I get, it get taken wrong. See me, one thing about Andrew Wiggins with me, I know basketball and I know talent. Ain't too many people in the NBA got more talent than him. Ain't too many people more athletic than him. So when my my complaint, first of all, I replied because his brother replied. Okay, you ain't got nothing to do with it, first of all. I ain't got nothing to do with it. So since you want to be nosy, I'm going to be nosy. Yeah. Jimmy's like my little brother. That's why I jumped in. I, I can be petty too. Second, second, um, when I said that about Wiggins, me personally, I'm a fan of the young fella, and I know how good he could be if somebody could get in his ear and just, you know, put some gunpowder in his food and make him realize just go a little harder, you know. And 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 that and that was my whole thing, you know. I I have no ill uh, blood towards the young fella. I wish him the best, you know. what I'm saying when I see him, I'm gonna give him some dab or whatever and all that. But I'm just like the owner. The owner was questioning it before he signed it, you know, and I. I see stuff in him that the owner don't see. I know how good he could be. And that was my whole beat. But Jimmy's my boy. I'm going to always back my boy. I got a lot of little brothers in the league that I ride with. And uh, regardless of whoever don't like it, it don't matter to me. You can respect it or check it. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to say what I feel is right or how I feel. I've never been a yes man. I don't say the politically correct answer. When I'm on these shows, there's nobody writing something on the paper telling me what to say. Everything I say is my gut feeling. And uh, just the same way I apologize. You know, and uh, we squash the shit. You know, that's the same way I handle everything else. So um, it's it, it's just it's just me knowing that they can get more out of him that he's given, and I think I think he got it in him. I just think he got to dig, dig down deep and get it out. And are there, you know, you mentioned watching him and knowing how much talent he has, and maybe just needing a little bit of a push. Uh, again, not throwing anyone under the bus, but are there other players that you think? that do have it in them that maybe just need that extra push right now that could take it to another level that maybe fans are sleeping on? Man, I'm I'm, 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 I'm going to say this one name, and I'm going to use him as an example. This guy could have averaged a triple-double. He could have been an all-star every year. He probably could have been top 10 basketball player every year in the NBA if he wanted to. He just didn't He just didn't have that drive. Boris Diaw. Wow. I played with Boris Diaw, I played with Boris Diaw in San Antonio and Charlotte. And let me tell you about him. There's nobody 6'9", that size, that has the IQ, the handling skills, can shoot. He, he, he can, he's sneaky athletic. He had every part of the game. He just didn't have that, that path, that the drive to go 110% every night. 
You know, and when we used to tell, we used to say that all the time. Me and Jerry Wallace and Sean used to talk about it all the time. You know, he used to come close to triple doubles every night. You know, and we like, man, Bo, you just had a motor. You just don't know how good you can be. And he still was good. But if he just had that motor, if he, if, if he had that killer instinct like I had, no telling how good Boris Diaw could have been. It's it's really funny that you say that. I mean, first of all, it's not the name I would have expected, or I don't think any of our listeners would expect it. But it's funny you say that because I don't know if you ever read Mark Stein way back when wrote a feature on Boris Diaw, and he had this really really funny anecdote, and it was I think from when Diaw was on the Suns, and uh, I think the Suns were doing some pre-draft workouts for prospects, and he had this story that they had the uh, like the vertical measure thing, you know, where you jump and and see how many pegs you can you can knock with your vertical. And so he says that Boris Diaw came down and he was in flip-flops sipping an espresso or a cappuccino or something and uh, asks what the machine is. And the Suns guys tell him, oh, it's like we're measuring uh, prospects, verticals or whatever. So they said that Boris Diaw just calmly takes his flip-flops off, puts his cappuccino down, and with like barely any effort, completely clears the rack or like equaled some mark that Amari Stoudemire had previously got. And... Everyone was kind of looking at him in shock, and and Mark Stein writes in the story that Diaw didn't even seem to care. He just like calmly put his flip flops back on, picks his espresso up, and just walks away. And it, I think it's really funny to then to hear you say that you're looking at it as like this guy had some freak athletic gifts and an IQ for the game that maybe a lot of people didn't realize. And and yeah, to hear you say it probably should have been better than what he ended up being. One of the smartest players I've ever played with. One of the best teammates I ever played with. Uh, you know, Boris, I'm going to use a little Duval line. Boris been living his best life, you know, <laughs> since, he, since, since, since he came to the NBA. He's, you know, he's one of those guys, you just, his attitude and mood is the same all day. He's always in a good mood, you know, real smart guy, man. But if he had that motor, if he had a little gunpowder in his food, I guarantee you he would have been down as one of the top players in the league every year, every year. He's He's definitely like the poster boy for that kind of very, like, calm suave european life yeah he, he definitely he definitely is possible up there super laid back you know go with the flow you know i play i play with a lot of french players you know what i'm saying and uh him and michael features were two of my favorites all right on the flip side uh you know you mentioned the motor and things like that i'm assuming there's going to be players on the other end of the spectrum that that you watch now that you think about like you know if you're talking about guys with no heart what about guys on the other end that be overachieved in terms of what their talent was just because of their motor and their heart are there guys in the nba right now let's call it let's call it stack jacks all heart team are there guys you see that would make that team right now that has the, that i consider has a lot of heart yeah that kind of like over you know we're just talking about how maybe guys like Diaw or something maybe never reached what their ceiling should have been because they're a little more laid back are there guys in the league right now that you think are overachieving just because because of their motor, because of their heart, because of the amount of work they put into their game. I would I, I wouldn't use the word overachieving. I would use earning what they deserve. You know, from from the hard work and from yeah. and from giving that extra that extra energy and, and that going one hundred ten percent instead of one hundred percent. Guys like PJ Tucker. Okay. You know, he he really making a name for himself. Just going out there and playing harder than the person across from him. Not being scared, putting his body on the line. You know, that's the type of guys I love. Patrick Beverly. Come on, man. Patrick Beverly, he, he going to get out there and battle against anybody. I don't care who you is, where you from. You tie your shoes just like me. I love Patrick Beverly. Uh, let me see. Um, uh, I go with John Wall. John Wall, always got, he always feels like he got something to prove. Always got a chip on his shoulder. He's a dog. Of course, Russell Westbrook. 
Russell Westbrook got more heart than anybody I know. I don't. I think his heart is bigger than him. You know, his, his heart might be bigger than his body. He might got to put his heart in the locker before the game. You know, Russ is a different animal. I love guys like that. I love his passion for the game. Win, lose, or draw, you're going to get my all. You got to see me. You got to deal with me for four quarters, regardless of what happened. I love that attitude. You know, um, I'm going to give you one more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say he overachieved, but I just like his heart. He know he's great, but I just like his mode and how hard he plays. But the Greek free. Like, this, you, know, you, you can't teach that passion and, and, and the will to be great, the will to go that hard every night for your team. Greek freak got it, and that's stuff you can't teach. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with any of those guys. Uh, the last uh, last question I want to ask you, kind of get away from current NBA before I let you go, because I've been wondering about it since I saw you post it on Instagram earlier this year. I think it was back in January. You put a post up on Instagram, and you kind of teased um, a documentary uh, that you said you and the people involved were going to make yourselves, and it's called The Brawl. And it seemed to be a tease of a potential documentary about the malice at the palace. Uh, is there any progress on that? Was was it just an idea at that point? Is something in the works? Can you tell us anything? Then, then, then it was it was uh, it was the beginning stages of it when I came out with that with that post. But we were close to having the deal done. Uh, shout out to Jermaine and Ron. Jermaine O'Neill has been, has been head the thing, and we were close to having the deal done uh, for the documentary on the brawl. It's gonna be crazy, man. A lot of people don't know. Ron Artest still cool with the guy who threw, who threw the beer on him. They wow. talk all the time. So it's it's it's, it's going to be crazy to see everything that went on because there's a lot of stuff that people don't know that went on from why the fire took why the fire took place. You know, a lot of stuff that was going on behind the scenes that the cameras will never show you how we was treated. All the stuff, all the stuff that was thrown on us, us getting into it with with the security guards in Detroit. It's so much to the story, man. You know, I, I hope a movie comes from it, too, because, you know, that's a sports history. But when we able to sit down and tell you all the full story and people can and we can walk people through everything that happened, man, it, it, it's going to be something special. But shout out to Jermaine O'Neill. He real close to having the deal done for us to get this thing done, because, you know, this this can't be free. You got to pay for this. <laughs> yeah. So it was it's you, Jermaine O'Neill and, and Meta put it together. Yep. Wow. And do you obviously, I'm, you know, I know you're going to keep the details under wraps, but in terms of a release date, do you have any idea of when we might be able to be seeing this? No, no, no release date yet. I don't have a release date yet, but uh, all the info, you know, of you and you and the family at the school, I keep y'all posted and I keep stuff posted on my social media as we go forward. But I can tell you this, it won't be long. It won't be long. I, I, I Me, honestly, I think I think it's going to be no longer than a year before it's out. Wow. All right. Can't wait. All right, Stack, uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us, man. This was fascinating. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks a lot.